This is Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great lived from 559 to, actually he ruled from 559 to 530 BC over the entire Persian Empire. He was actually the founder of it. And he conquered from India all the way to the Middle East, Northern Africa and into Greece. His conquests led the Persian Empire to be one of the largest and most historically influential empires in all of recorded history. I bet you didn't know that. This is uh, Attila the Hun. Some of you might have learned about Attila in school. Also, he had a nickname. It was the Scourge of God. The Scourge of God. He was one of the greatest barbarian conquerors in all of history. His title comes from the rampant destruction that he would leave everywhere he went. He, when, he, when he attacked the Roman Empire, he wouldn't stop. He led the Huns on a, an Eastern European barbarian tribe that would, that would conquer everything between Eastern and Central Europe. He was renowned for the devastation and the plundering he left in the wake of his barbarian hordes. Mm, I just like to say the word hordes. <laughs> Here's Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, some of you may have learned about him in school, easily one of the greatest conquerors in Western history. He succeeded his father, Philip II, when he was 20 years old, having been trained in warfare and tutored by Aristotle. He took command of the Macedonian Empire and ceaselessly spread from Greece eastward. Finally, here's a Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan has sort of become a, like a cartoon figure in our own imaginations, but the truth is he was the greatest conqueror in all human history. He conquered more than double the landmass of Alexander the Great. He's often one of the most forgotten conquerors in the minds of peoples in the Western world. Genghis Khan created his empire by unifying nomadic tribes and pulling them together. He's the only... He's really the only great conqueror that started with nothing. And he pulled everything together for one massive army. But that is nothing compared to Maximus the conqueror. <laughs> the most fearsome of all the grandchildren of Warren Ross Parsley, Grand Poobah of one chapel. Maximus is famous for using anyone who will pick him up just to reach something he wants to grab or take a hold of because he is short. Or take him somewhere he wants to go. Maximus, however, doesn't rule with an iron fist but by manipulating others with his cuteness. Perceived innocence and the sweet love of the entire Parsley clan. Now listen, human history is full of war, full of conquest, battle after battle, rages over land and gold, jewels, titles, racism, hatred of a group of people. These conquerors were military strategists who went to great lengths to kill, to pillage, to violate, to enslave 
listen to it, hundreds of millions of people throughout history. Mostly for one reason. You know what that reason is? To take their stuff. They just wanted to take their stuff. This is how human history has unfolded. Whoever has the greatest army, the greatest strategy, the greatest intellect, the greatest power, the most control is the one in charge, the one with all the authority, the greatest. And so many across time and history have wanted to be called the great. The golden rule for most of human history has been whoever has the gold makes the rules, right? And so this is the way that our human history unfolded until a man named Jesus arrives upon the scene. He arrives on the scene of human history and changes this way of thinking with a radical new idea, a concept of such great consequence that it leads him to the ultimate and most scandalous violent act of self-sacrificial love that there's ever been in human history. He surrenders to the cross for you and for me, indeed for the entire human race to die for our sins so that we can reclaim and recover a relationship with God. The golden rule he is known for is do to others as you would have them do unto you. Yes, this new way of leading, this new definition of greatness is called serving. It's called serving. There's something powerful I want us to grab a hold of today as we start this legacy series and kind of piggyback on the Surrender Solution series that we've been in because today we're going to talk about serving. Why don't you put that up there, Tulu? Just put up the surrender circle, and I want you to see where it's coming. Because each of our weeks that we've been going through, we started with love and obedience to Jesus. We talked about how the gospel is relational, not informational. It's not just curriculum. It's something very heart-driven, we talked about being intentional, seasonal, and cyclical, and spiritual, but then we've started to really walk through all these things that I believe God really asks us to acquire in our lives, to, to be the kind of people who will reflect these ideas as a Christian, as a Disciple, And so vulnerability, you got to be open, you got to be vulnerable to God to have a relationship with him. you got to have his identity. This is the beauty of becoming a Christian because your identity is not achieved but rather received from God. Then there's devotion and, and all that begins to be developed in your time and attention. And then we talked about surrender. It's really the the crux of the whole thing, it's upside down here because there's an upside down kingdom that Jesus is talking about, that surrendering is this, this powerful source of, of what God wants to do in your life and my life. We just don't think of it that way. And finally today, we're gonna talk about serving. 
And we're gonna do this from Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28. And so if you'll join me there, you can join me in the message notes with the QR code or you can join me in your uh, Bible that you have with you. Matthew 20, 25 to 28 says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Right, so here's mama and she wants something nice for her boys. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm gonna drink? It's a pretty profound question. <laughs> we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. You can just skip right over that somehow and miss the significance of what Jesus is saying there. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Why were they so indignant? Because they didn't think of it first. <laughs> it's true. It's true. They were so mad because, oh, wait a minute. How can James and John do that? And they, they got their mother involved? <laughs> Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. He's talking about the way the world works. The rulers of the world, the conquerors of the world. They lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, it presses down on them, pressures people to conform. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is a powerful powerful concept that I don't think gets enough credit. And we especially have a problem here because we live in a culture where power is everything. Power and control and authority. That's what American culture respects and values. That's what makes people great. And we are, so we are truly in this, this cultural moment where we're having to really wrestle with what our Christianity actually means. What kind of people are we? The legacy of Jesus is serving. The legacy of Jesus. Jesus is famous for serving. He is the one who serves us. And that's what that scripture says. Everywhere he went, he served. Everything he did, was motivated by serving. Every act of his ministry was for the purpose of serving, 
from the first miracle in the wedding of Cana of Galilee, where Jesus turned the water into wine, all the way through countless healings and deliverance, all kinds of miracles, various people he even raised from the dead, to the final victorious act of the cross. Jesus was serving every person that he came into contact with. And not only that, but he was serving the purpose of his heavenly father. Just like the mother of James and John, you and I get confused. (laughs) We don't understand. We get confused about how the kingdom of God works. We think it's we're able to be manipulated in somehow, or we've got we've to really push and press for what, what happens in the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying that we don't have to work. I think the kingdom of God demands incredible work. And there's strenuous activity involved in the kingdom of God. But the strenuous activity has to do with denying your own will and being willing to become a servant to all that you come in contact with. Most of Jesus' followers were convinced he was headed for the big time. He was gonna take over. He was going to become a great conqueror. Many people hoped he would be the one, the deliverer of God's people from Roman oppression because Rome was just the latest in a long list to conquer, to dominate, and to persecute the Jews. And like any good Jewish mom, the mother of Zebedee's sons had dreams for her sons that they might ride the coattails of Jesus, his fame, his power, and they'd go straight to the top with him. She didn't really understand. James and John didn't really understand. It's amazing how consistent human nature is, isn't it? First century and 21st century, same thing. We see power and fame as the currency of culture, the currency of influence. Jesus had an entirely opposite and completely different way of acting, of working, of thinking. This, this moment of parental overreach by the mom of James and John does not speak well of James and John. I mean, think about it. They're standing right there. They're standing right there with their mommy, and mommy's making a case to Jesus. But they're willing somehow to endure the brief shame, the brief embarrassment for the possibility that mom may get through to Jesus where they could not in a way that they never could. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Can you, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? See, Jesus was talking about serving by going all the way to the cross. And of course, the, the two boys naively, they say, we, we, we can, we can do it. They don't even know what they're saying yes to. They don't know what is ahead. They don't know what Jesus is going to ask them to do. And then Jesus, interestingly enough, he says, 
for sure you're going to drink the cup. You're going to drink the cup. But he says, this is not my decision to make. How interesting this is. Jesus had a different mindset. He says, I'm not the one who's making the decisions here. And this is the first clue for us to understand the first clue how deep this idea of serving runs in Jesus. You know, it's as if Jesus couldn't like do whatever he wanted to do. He was the son of God. He was divine. He had had all these miracles. He had all this power. He could have done, but he chose instead to do only what his father told him to do. And so he served at his father's pleasure and says, this isn't my decision. But Jesus explains a profound difference here between worldly thinking and kingdom thinking because the path to greatness, the path to greatness in God's kingdom comes through serving. Jesus does not squash his disciples' ambition. Instead, he redirects their desire to be great. He turns it on its head. He begins to explain an upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. This is, this is the difference between serving and becoming a servant. <laughs> you know, some people, just because you serve doesn't mean you've become a servant inside. There's plenty of people, plenty of you here that have been serving. You serve your family or you serve the church or you serve, you serve but you do it grumpily. <laughs> See, that's a different thing. Becoming a servant from the inside out is something that requires practice. It takes love. It takes attentiveness. It takes brokenness. It takes humility. It requires surrender. Serving the needs of others is the highest and greatest act in the kingdom of God. It's what makes you truly great. It's the solution of a life that's filled with self-centeredness or convenience or consumerism. It's the answer, the antidote for all these things. It is truly what made Jesus great. And it's the only way that Jesus conquers our sin, winning our loyalty and our devotion as our Lord for life. Listen to me, church family. Listen listen to what I'm saying here. We are in desperate need of more servants. We're in desperate need of more servants because our mission as a church will only be successful when every member of one chapel is serving others by using their God-given gifts and talents and resources. This is our highest calling. Do you see that? Do you see it? (laughs) Like, it's, it's such a powerful thing. When we become servants, we start to create a legacy. Not just a legacy that we leave, but a legacy that we're called to live. Most people, they talk about leaving a legacy. This year at One Chapel, for the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about living our legacy. We're living in a way. And how do we do that here and now? That's why over 
the last part of this Surrender Solution series, we, we, we now come to this place as, as, we're, as we're moving into serving and habits and influence. See, we're coming around the circle from inward heart issues to external activations that the kingdom of God requires and desires for every person. And so there's a choice. There's a choice. You gotta lay down your life or you end up trying to prove yourself to everybody else. You got a choice. You got to notice the needs of others or become consumed with what you can get. And this is our, this is our problem because every marketing tool in our culture is aimed straight at your heart, telling you what makes you great. And it's not what you think. Greatness in the kingdom is defined as the servant. You give yourself away or you destroy your message about Jesus. So I want to encourage you today with three, three ways you and I can live out the legacy of Jesus. Are you ready? Are you still with me? Lake Travis? Liberty Hill? Okay. All right, let's do it. Number one, I will live out the legacy of Jesus by intentionally serving others. Now, listen, some of you are new here, and that's okay. You have my permission to catch your breath. If you've been through a bad church experience or something, you're just trying to figure out the claims of Jesus, it's okay. I want you to keep coming. I want you to join the community. I want you to get filled up. I want you to get refreshed, okay? I want you to have that. But I also want you to come to the conclusion that you have something to offer, a way that you need to serve, a way that God divined you and, de and designed you. Okay, so that's coming. That's coming, and you gotta be ready for it. You gotta get ready for it. It's part of the way. I think it's the first step to becoming a real disciple of Jesus. Now, for the rest of you who've been here for a while, it's time to get off the bench. It's time to stop resisting. It's time to give yourself fully, to stop being selfish and start serving. And here's the thing, it requires intentionality. You gotta figure out how to make time. You and I, we have to figure out how to help others rather than just being consumed with what we're interested in. And so you just see the verse, you see it, Matthew 20, 26. We read it already, but he says, not so with you. Everybody say that together. Not so with you. This isn't how we act. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be your first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. See, he's our example. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the model that Jesus gives you and me. So how do I do this? Well, here's very simple. You join a team. You host a group. Some of you just go get in a group. <laughs> You're, I was talking to some people yesterday and they were like, oh, we really wanted to be in a group, but you know, our lives are just so full and so busy. We just couldn't do it. It's gonna require something. It's gonna require something. And I think we've all got to, 
wrestle that to the ground. Did you know that there, we support 30 organizations here in our city, local organizations that we partner with. Your, you give every month to those organizations and, and Pastor Lori Catone, she is making opportunities for you to get involved and to serve somewhere. Sign up to go on a missions trip next year. I think we got three or four of them and they are phenomenal. Everybody in our church needs to go on a missions trip at some point. There's something about it, it changes your life. Listen, if this is your home church, you need to find a place to serve. If this is your home church, if this is your family, I promise you, I'm not just saying this because we need more people on team one, which is always gonna be the case, I think, right? But there's something that God wants to do in you when you're willing to do that. And, and I want us to start serving as a lifestyle and, and that to be the legacy that we leave. And it's not just about our church, it's not just about the organization, which is why on your seat, there's something called a kindness card, an act of kindness card. Just get it out right now. Just, just look around you if you picked it up. And I want you to take this card you can get more of them out in the lobby. Do we have one out in the lobby as well? Okay, so if you want to pick up a couple more, I want you to take this kindness card and I want you to start thinking about how you can serve somebody else this week. Just in your routine. And there's so many things you could do. But listen, listen church, we have to get a little more courageous. We gotta get a little more courageous about doing something out of the norm that takes somebody else, makes them off, maybe they catch, catches them off guard. That's okay. We've got to lift our eyes from what we're doing and see what other people are doing and how they need to be served. And you never know how a moment of serving is going to translate into a conversation. You could, I mean, the list is endless. Deliver fresh baked cookies to a neighbor or a coworker. Bring fresh flowers to someone. Offer to babysit for free. Whoa, Pastor Ross, no, I'm not doing that. Mow somebody's yard for free. Do something. Pay for someone's coffee behind you in the drive-thru or your fast food line. Do something. Send a note of encouragement to someone. Note writing. It's a lost art. Leave a big tip for your server at the restaurant. Leave a massive one. Pay for someone's movie behind you in line. Help someone you know who's struggling financially. Bake some goodies and take them to the police station, the fire station, or the hospital. There's people there that need serving. Now listen, serving is something that makes you and me into a disciple the act of serving actually starts to change and deal with the internal motivations of our lives. Jesus has a story in John 13 where he washes his disciples' feet. And I'm gonna read a few verses here. John 13, 12 says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one 
who sent him. What is Jesus saying? Look at the last verse. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I want you to realize that Jesus washed the feet of the denier, Peter. He knew it was coming. He washed the feet of the, betra- sorry, the betrayer, Judas. He washed the feet of these two people and all the rest of them who would run away when Jesus was arrested. How did he do it? He did it because he knew who he was serving. And it wasn't just those men. He was serving his father. That's how you become a great servant. You realize who you're actually serving. Jesus wasn't just saying nice, something nice here. He was giving a principle. There are two more things I want you to realize that are acts of service together that Jesus is our, our model. Ways to be more intentional. Number two, I will live out the legacy of Jesus by intentionally giving what I have. Now listen, I'm not asking you to give what you don't have. In fact, uh, you can't give what you don't have. <laughs> it's, a, it's impossible. God won't hold you accountable for what you don't have. He will hold you accountable, however, for what you do have. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided. You decide. You decide. No emotional manipulation. No pressurizing. The scriptures teach us, Paul teaches You decide in your heart what you're going to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. All right, keep going. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, wait, what, what? In all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God has given you and I so much. Now, I know, I know, it may not feel like that right now. I understand. I understand that where we are in our culture, there's a feeling that nobody can get enough. But here's the thing. If you think about it, you have gifts. You have talents. You have abilities. And some of you do really have financial resources. But no matter who you are or where you are, as an American living in Austin, You've been giving so, given so much. So here's a couple of more practical ideas uh, from about our church family and where we are so that we can live our legacy together. I want every one of you to become a percentage giver. And I want you to become a progressive giver. I want you to become a percentage giver and I want you to become a progressive giver giver and here's what I mean by this this is a big idea because many of us are led too much by our emotional appeals and situations if I feel it in the moment then I'll give if I have any money left over at the end of the month then I'll give really at the end of the day this means we're tippers instead of givers becoming a percentage giver means I develop the value 
of giving. Like it's part of my, the way I serve and I decide to give a percentage to God and I do it, I stick to it. I commit to it. The Bible standard percentage is actually 10%. It's called a tithe, but 10%, some of you are like listening to me like, well, 10%, what are you talking about? I could never get there. Yes, you can. 10% of what comes into our lives, we give back to God and we give it to the local church as a storehouse. A storehouse. Now, if you read the Bible, it doesn't stop with 10%. You don't get to 10% and that's all there is. Actually, the Bible teaches you, you can grow into something called radical generosity. That, that God teaches both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But here's the thing. Here's what you have to do. You have to start somewhere. Start with 1%. Come on, hold your finger up. 1%. Start with 1%. 1% is a commitment to say, God, I'm going to give and I'm going to give consistently. Start 1%, the next month do 2%, the next month do 3%, the next month do 4%. By the time you get to 10%, I promise you, something will have changed, not only in your finances, but in your heart. It's a powerful force for serving. And it is what we are as a church. What we do together is greater than anything we can do on our own. And so I want us to really embrace this. That's why Jesus said, He said it's better to give than to receive. You know why he said this? Because giving always starts to be progressive. Like there's something that happens once you give a certain amount away, there's there's a joy in it and you begin to want to bless others more. Amy and I have practiced this idea of tithing through our entire lives, our marriage even before that because our parents were pastors and so in that way it was forced upon us. (laughs) But listen, what I can tell you, I can stand before you and tell you how amazing it is that God's provision comes to our lives no matter what season we're in. I haven't always had everything I wanted but I've always had everything I needed. And it's good for your soul. It's good for the, the, the way of a servant to give. And I want you to see it, what Paul says it in verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. That's what happens when you become a giver. Now, this December, we're going to take a legacy offering on December 11th. And I'm telling you all these weeks ahead of time because I want you to pray about it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to think about it. I want you to think deeply about it because I want you to come to a conclusion, a decision that God is working into your life, not that I'm working into your life. And so it's gonna be on December 11th. I never want you to feel forced to do something. And if you do it because you you feel like I'm forcing you, it doesn't work anyway. That's not faith. Faith is willingness. Faith is, yes, I'm going to do this because I want to do it and because I believe it's good. We take one special offering a year during the holiday season and we talk about our legacy as a church because what a legacy offering is, it helps us take one giant step in the vision God has given us. And there are so many things that we would love to do. 
besides just partnering with 30 local organizations that we give to every month, beyond the 10% that we send to missionaries around the world that you send, this is how we live as a church. We send that first 10% away no matter what. We're dreaming of other ways to become more influential in our region. One of the things that we, Amy and I have been praying about, and I think we're, we need to do it, is we need to become an official storehouse for emergencies or different, um, different tragedies or different disasters that start to uh, show up in our city. Do you remember the snowpocalypse? Okay. There's going to be something else. And we are partnering with ADRN, Austin Disaster Relief Network, to be prepared. And I think we need to have food and water and necessities and resources for people in need. And, and I, think, I think that's where our focus maybe needs to be as we give in this legacy offering to do something special beyond, even beyond what our normal vision is. Now listen, we want to plant more churches for sure. We, want to, we, we believe that's part of our calling, but we have to become more consistent in our giving before we can do that. We're not strong enough right now, financially, to plant another campus. We don't have it after the turbulence of the last two or three years. It's just part of where we are. And so we have some work to do. Our buildings need some updating and, and repair. Truthfully, our staff hasn't had a raise in several years. And I know you understand this because you're living through it as well. We're all living through a hard moment. But that's why I want you to see that you can only give from what you have, not from what you don't have. That's why I want you to pray about what to give and then do what God tells you to give. Here's what some of you need to do. Some of you need to pray this year about becoming a legacy giver, but not just on December 11th. You need to become a legacy giver more than just one Sunday, but a consistent giver, a percentage giver, a progressive giver, because there's blessing in that and there's power in it and that's how you need to grow as a servant. First Timothy 6, 17 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, everybody say generous. Willing to share, say it. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, there's more than just this life. And that's why number three is I will live out the legacy of Jesus by intentionally sharing him with others. You gotta look for opportunities to share what he's done in your life. You have a story to tell. I believe that over this next year, we're gonna train you how to tell your story in 30 seconds, how to tell your story in three minutes, and how to tell your story in 30 minutes. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can do that, Pastor Ross. Yes, you can. And you need to if you're going to speak into people's lives. If you're gonna find your way to serving them. Now I'm telling you, we have to be more courageous as a group of people. Your circle, your influence 
You gotta pray about what God wants you to do and who he wants you to talk to. I feel it in my own self. In fact, we make it easy to make the first invitation. You know what the first invitation could be? Hey, you wanna come with me to my church? We're, we're watching movies. Feature presentation is a way for people to come to church and go, wow, I didn't know church could be like this. We're going to talk about the biblical principles, the stories, these powerful cultural stories to display God's story. It's really an opportunity. Now, listen, I understand many of you, you know, many Sundays a year, it can be about you. But I think two times a year, you need to invite somebody to church. We call it 252. Two out of 52. Two Sundays out of the year, you need to have the thrill of sitting next to somebody who you brought to church. And you are praying more than you ever pray on a Sunday because you're just asking the Lord, please don't let Pastor Ross screw it up. You are all in. <laughs> You're all in because you did something courageous. And that starts to change you and me when we're willing to do that. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. This is what your life is about. This is God's plan. He, hey, hey, God doesn't have a plan B. You're it. <laughs> this is not about what the pastor can do. This is about what we do. That's our legacy. That's our legacy. And I want you to embrace that. Your servant's heart is what he's counting on. Disciples take care of other people's needs. That's what they do. And they do it so that they can see, they can help them see, help the person realize their greatest need. What's their greatest need? Their need for Jesus. Mark 16, 15 says, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. This is it. This is what we're called to. Live out the legacy of Jesus by bringing others to him. You are serving your master Jesus by sharing your faith with others. You understand it. You're serving by sharing your faith. You serve him by doing it. That's how you can be courageous. You're not just serving them. You might talk to somebody and they would think you were a weirdo, a total weirdo. I promise you, it's good to be thought a weirdo for Jesus. He served us. Jesus served you. He's the only one who can make you into a servant. I just want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes here at the end. And I want us to really come to grips with the idea that there's so much in you. A willingness to serve, a willingness to give, and a willingness to share Jesus. This is who we're called to be, One Chapel. This is what Jesus is calling us to enter into. And so I want to pray over every one of you that are in this room, in the rooms at our campuses, and I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you're not all in. <laughs> you're not committed. You're just oh, kind of waiting, kind of checking it out. Listen, this could be your day. This could be your morning where Jesus 
comes into your heart in a way that he never has. And I want you to pray with me about that. And I want you to welcome him. And so let's pray together. And I'm gonna pray for you and pray with you. And I want you to join in this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here. That you are speaking to me, you're speaking to us, you're speaking to our church. Lord, these things that we're talking about, they're not easy. They're simple. They're not easy. I pray for every heart, every heart, every life. Lord, that there would be a surrender. There would be a willingness to serve that comes from a place that is so deep that only Jesus can draw it out. Jesus, we thank you for serving us by going to the cross and your, the fact that you served all of mankind by taking our sins away. We enter into that right now and we say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for becoming the servant of all. And now we put our trust and our hope in you because you're the only one who can make us into a servant. Even if we want to, it's so hard. But Jesus with you, showing us the way, with you drawing us out, with you serving our needs, we can serve the needs of others. We pray this, we choose this today. We agree for it together. In Jesus' name, amen.